I tend to operate on a simple principle of if it slaps, it slaps. Hello there. I'm Asher Leamond, and welcome to the Spoondrift Podcast. Here on the show, I talk a little bit about a lot of things. I just skim the surface of an ocean of information. I would even go as far as to say that I talk about the spoon drift of information. On this episode, I have a couple of engineers on the show from the University of North Florida's Marine Energy Collegiate Competition team. It's a really fascinating conversation about the ocean, hydroelectric power, teamwork, and yeah, mistakes and how to make them and why they're a good thing. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, before we get started, I have to let you know that I am a bit partial to my guests. I I am affiliated with the team. So as you're listening, be mindful of that. Uh, Now let's let's get to the interview. (laughs) Welcome to the Spoon Drift podcast. Super happy to have you here on the show. Um, If you could go ahead, briefly introduce yourself. Uh, So I'm Brianna Rodriguez, and I'm a junior mechanical engineering student at UNF. My name is Kayla Harrison. Uh, I'm an electrical engineering major at UNF. I am graduating in the spring of 2021, so this is my last semester as an undergrad. I will be continuing at UNF into the postgraduate program. I was accepted into the master's program under Dr. El Mezziani for the fall semester. I'll be continuing for renewable energy research is my specialty. I love working in power systems, and I just greatly look forward to all this. The the focus of this show today is we're going to be talking about the Marine Energy Collegiate Competition, and that's a college competition with universities across the United States, all working to develop a marine energy solution. So if you wouldn't mind, um, can you give us a little bit of background surrounding the competition that you're involved in? So the Marine Energy Collegiate Competition, or MECC, is a competition kind of funded by the government to allow students and professors to work together to progress more research into like marine energy. There's so many great versions of renewable energy out in the world right now. And, you know, there's so much untapped potential with with water, it like, it populates like 75% of our earth. So there has to be a way we can like hone it and create electricity to keep our society thriving. So you mentioned that it's both students and professors. Um, so can you expound up on that a little bit? So the whole team kind of is a mixture. We have some undergraduate students, some graduate students as well, and the professors. And we all kind of like play to each other's strengths and see uh, how we all can like, work together to create these devices. How about uh, your team? Yeah, we have we have two professors. We have one that is uh, works more in the civil engineering aspect at UNF, but she got her major in coastal engineering, so she's she's great. She's super helpful in the project. We have some undergraduate mechanical engineers, some electrical engineers, and then we have a graduate mechanical engineer who's studying coastal engineering. So we have a lot of vast array of intelligence to play off of. Wow. Okay. 
you mentioned mechanical and electrical. So, I mean, this, this project really involves a lot of different disciplines. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I kind of forgot to touch upon it, but we also have like a business side to focus on like the monetary and the marketing aspects as well. So we do have like a professor affiliated with business and like two business students as well. Okay. So this is like, this is the full deal, full package. We've got engineering happening. We've got business and economics that go into the process. There are people working on everything. So, I mean, this, that sounds like quite the project. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's the whole engineering process built up from the ground up. What, how, what has been your experience with um, having to keep an eye on all of the different aspects that go into developing any sort of technology? Uh my experience is just kind of like heavy communication. Uh, the amount of like emails I send people or like Discord messages we send uh, really helps keep everybody on the same page. It allows me to like fill in the gaps in my like like electrical engineering knowledge, which is like very minimal. Um, and like lets me learn and kind of accommodate the needs and like designs that other aspects of the team want into each model we make. Oh, I, I don't know if you've mentioned this. What discipline are, have, are you focusing on? What's your study? I am currently a mechanical engineer, but the part of the project I'm working on is more like hydrodynamic analysis of this wave energy converter. So seeing how it like will act in the marine ocean environment. Hydrodynamic analysis. That's a big word there. Um, what do you mean by that? Um, so it's kind of like, you know, when you go fishing and you cast the line, you have a little little buoy floating in the water to help lure your fish in, and you see that guy go up and down due to the tidal of the waves. So hydrodynamic analysis is just kind of seeing like how an object will like float and like how gravity and other objects, other emotions in the ocean will like make it move. Okay. Now that we've, we've talked about that, um, can you talk a bit about what device you're actually developing? So the device we're developing is a, a wave energy converter or specifically like a point observer. And what it does is it plays off of the idea of creating electricity based off a magnetic field. And so magnetics on, magnets on a shaft will be stationary and a float that has a bunch of coils wrapped on it. It's going to keep like floating and moving up and down on that shaft and it's going to create electricity. Let me see if I understand this correctly. We've, we've got this, this float on the top of the water and we have some coils attached to this, this float and it's going to be moving up and down with the waves, moving those coils around the magnets. And then those magnets, when they move in and out of the coil, that'll create an electrical current. Does that, that sound about correct? That Vaguely. is very correct. <laughs> All it right. So the principle of magnetic flux, it's essentially very similar to a shake flashlight, where if you move the magnet past coils, it generates a little bit of charge. And when you flip the switch, you'll get light. Except instead of generating light, we're going to use this to try and power much more complicated electronics. But the principle is exactly the same as the magnetic fields around the coils shift, it will move the electrons in the coils around through the coils and then out towards the 
whatever our load is in this case, usually it's a light source. Wow. Okay. Um, why is it a light source you mentioned? A light source is usually what we use for these simple small scale tests because it's the easiest um, energy source to one, see that it's working because, and two, because it's just, it requires very low amount of power to work with. Light sources like LEDs only require about 3.3 to 5 volts usually to work. Most other things require more voltage and it's harder to tell if they're working or not. If you want to move something, it requires quite a few volts to move an object like move a rotor or move a motor. And then if you do move it, it might either move too slowly for you to notice or not be able to move itself because it doesn't have enough power to move the weight of whatever it's moving. If you want to use try and power like a speaker or sound, that can require quite a bit of power. So you might only generate enough sound that you can't actually hear that it's working. But with light, even if you get a very, very weak amount of power, you can see the light being generated immediately because just by the nature of your eyes work. And just if, especially if it's dark or if you have them in a shaded area, you can much more efficiently see that it's working and you can tell how efficiently it's working based on how bright the light is. Ah, okay. So you're, you're saying you use a light because it's it serves as a good indicator when you're doing like small scale testing of whether or not the whole thing is actually working. Yes, it's a very, very effective way to tell if it's working or not. Okay. So let's, let's, let's back that up just a bit. You mentioned small-scale testing. So at what point in the um, development process are you uh, with regard to design and testing? Well, if anyone has ever seen an episode of Mythbusters, uh, they know that it always starts out with small-scale testing, and then they transition to full-scale testing once they've done their small-scale tests. We are in the small-scale testing phase, but rather than jumping straight into large, we're going to be doing it in three stages. Uh, small scale testing, which is used for proof of concept. We run that through and we show, hey, this can work in the small scale. This, therefore, it's worth acquiring funding so we can move forward into more larger scale stuff. But we're actually going to be doing a mid-scale test as well. This way we can keep upgrading with proof of concept because with electricity, it's very dangerous to move straight from small into large scale as if you can't handle the power requirements or how much power you're generating is more than you expect, that can be very dangerous. So we're shifting up intermediately to help with safety. Okay, that makes sense. So you're pushing in to intermediate scale testing. So that means you've had some successful small scale tests. Is that correct? That is very correct. We currently have three small scale models that we have produced. Um, they are affectionately named Jimmy, Timmy, and Kimmy. We love them. Um, we created them over the past year. We've been creating those and working with them. We have experienced pretty good success. Jimmy had, he was our first prototype. He served as the flagship for us, kind of getting the ideas. And then we created Timmy, who kind of took what Jimmy did right and improved upon it, took what Jimmy did wrong and fixed it. And he was working very well. And now we've just created Kimmy, who we're hoping will take what Timmy did right, improve it further, and therefore just keep improving upon that. But Timmy and Kimmy have very much effectively proved our concept that it does work. We can produce electricity consistently and reliably using this method. Wow. Okay, so this is definitely a very iterative process. Yes, um, any, any engineering class will tell you that engineering is an iterative process. It takes time and it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of just 
going back over your designs, figuring out, okay, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? How can we fix that? Before we move forward, it's all about optimization, figuring out how to do things better than you're currently doing them. How do we fix what went wrong? How do we improve what went right? And how do we move forward so that when we move forward, we know we're moving forward with the best possible plan. Okay. This is, okay, this is juicy here. What sort of problems, what sort of major um, issues have you come across throughout the process? There's been a couple of major issues. Um, mostly it has been uh, power generation. Due to the small scale size, uh, you're not going to generate as much power as you would like because they're small. Kind of like and, we were talking about before. Yeah, they're little handheld magnets, so they don't generate a huge amount of uh, magnetic flux that you would like for your horse. So that can create some problems. So you have to figure out how to optimize your design. But this is actually really helpful because this helps us in large scale because if we can optimize it in small scale, then we can figure out what we'll need to do in large scale as well. So the first issue was just getting the magnets to pass all the way through the coils because if you know anything about this, the magnet has to pass from completely from the bottom of the coils all the way up completely through the top of the coils in order to effectively produce a charge. And so we were having issues with Jimmy, our first prototype, his coils were spread out a little bit too wide. So it was very difficult for the waves to reach an amplitude that could push the magnets all the way through the coils. So when we made Timmy, we reduced that gap. We made them much more bunched together and on top of each other. And that greatly reduced the amount of issues with the magnet. So the waves, we could work with much smaller wave amplitudes, which when you're in the ocean, you don't get to pick your wave amplitudes. They just kind of do whatever God says. <laughs> so we are definitely, uh, I think that was a very great design change. And then a second major issue we encountered was friction. Because with Faraday's principle of magnetic induction, the amount of charge the magnets will push through the coils is heavily impacted by the distance the magnet is from the coils when it passes them. So any amount of air between the uh, magnets or the coils will greatly reduce your, air, your voltage output. So we made the original design, Jimmy, with a very, very small gap, very, very small, just big enough for the magnets to go through. Unfortunately, this also created issues with friction as it pushed the device up and the magnet, the coils went past the magnet, it caused friction and it really slowed down the speed at which the device moved, which in turn hurt our voltage output even more. So when we made Timmy, we, once again, we, another design change we made was we made that gap a little bit more. We decided the little bit of air that would be there would impact it less than the friction was. And that turned out to be a correct assessment. And Timmy produced much greater uh, outputs. So what I'm hearing here is that problems are a good thing because when you encounter them, you get to fix them. Yes. Problems are the greatest thing you could hope for because problems mean that you've done something wrong. And when you do something wrong, that means you get to learn. And the whole purpose of research, any research you ever do is to learn. You're trying to learn what you're doing why you're doing it, how does this work? And if something doesn't work the way you expect it to, that means you get to learn a little bit more about that. If you've ever heard, there's a famous quote from Edison um, about I mean, failed 200 something times to make a light bulb. Someone asked him, 
you know, how does it feel to fail? No, you failed 200 something times. He said, I didn't fail. I learned 200 and something ways not to make a light bulb. <laughs> I like that. that. Is, I like that. That is definitely the attitude I take into these because within an iterative process, you know, you're going to mess up at some point, which means you can either take that on the chin and learn from it or you can be defeated. And I think the principle of a scientist is that we always, we learn from it and we enjoy and we celebrate the things that go wrong. That That's really neat. I think that's a common like misconception, at least with a lot of devices. Like people think um, that you, you end up with a finished product by succeeding all the time. Like you have an airplane because there weren't an airplane happened. You have a car because the car happened. We forget to think about all of the failed attempts that had to come before it. So I really like that point that you made. Yeah, there's a lot of steps that go along the way. Bree, uh, since you're on the mechanical side of this, what what's a major uh, setback or problem that you've experienced so far on the project? Uh, one of the ones we've kind of been like dealing with reoccurringly is... Uh, we use like aqua ancest to simulate the floats motion in the ocean. And there's not a lot of like research or like YouTube tutorials to help provide some new design concepts we have. Like translating motion is just very hard to come across for these tutorials. So we have been, me and my partner have been putting a lot of research into it and we're kind of developing our own like aqua ancest for dummies to help like lay down foundations for the next people who come along and like want to go ahead and try to simulate these. Okay. That's really cool. So that, so you're like developing your own documents as you go. Is that right? Yeah. God bless Google docs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So we're talking about documentation here. Um, As you go along, I imagine you're, you're learning all these things like you were mentioning before, Caleb. Um, so whenever you are recording the information, like how much of your time is dedicated to documenting the process as you go along? Is this a large portion of time or is it not very much? What would you say? And you guys can both respond to this question. Um, I don't know about Bree, but as far as the electrical side goes, there's not a great deal of documentation that really needs to go on. Most of the electronic components are fairly simple. It is Faraday's principle of induction has been around for a long time. <laughs> so most of it is not new information. It's mostly just a couple of small optimization things. Like I said, the width that we were using in our uh, internal chambers, the distance the coils are from each other, those little things, which we note down, but most of it, um, Most of the data we record is we do try to figure out, record how much power we're generating, how efficient our device is, and small things like that. But there's not a great deal of time that really needs to go into that. Most of our work is physical work designing the process. There is a lot of data recording, but not nearly as much as there might be on other projects. Okay. For our side, for like the hydrodynamics. There's a little bit more, but that's kind of because we're trying to research and develop like how to simulate translational motion and how to like use these different parameters in aqua ANSES, as well as like taking things like center of mass, 
uh, inertia and different property values from these SolidWorks designs and trying to put them into the ANSYS Aqua. So it, it requires more documentation uh, just for sanity reasons. <laughs> Try not to lose yourself in the numbers. Okay. Um, yeah, what sort I of think there is a direct correlation between how much simulation you have to do and how much um, data recording and logging you have to do. As, as I said, other projects have a lot more. Um, there's definitely a direct correlation. The more simulating you're doing versus it, once you're in raw experimentation, there's going to be a lot less data recording. Okay, because is that just because of the physical nature of the actions yeah. at that point? Yeah, the physical nature, because once you're at that point, you're not really doing as much recording so much as you're, you've done all your simulation, you've done all your, your theorizing, and theorizing and simulating is where all of your, most of your writing is going to be. That's going to be because by nature, it hasn't existed yet. So you have to put it on paper yourself versus when it's physical, it exists. You don't have to write that down. It's right there in front of you. The only thing you're going to be writing on recording is data values that your experiment is meant to record. Okay. That makes sense. Bree, um, what sort of parameters are you changing as you're going through the design? It can be small things like just changing the diameter of the float to the height. Uh, to changing the shaft length and the shaft diameter, or even just like changing how high we want our waves to be in our uh, wave pool. So the amplitude of the waves, changing the mass of it, changing the material. It's small things that can like impact the design in ways you can't think about uh, in the instant, but you know, Aqua Ansas is great. It does it for us. It takes the brain cells <laughs> right out of our head. Okay, good point. Um, Caleb, you've mentioned Faraday's law of induction a couple of times. Can you elaborate on what that is exactly? Yes, it is a fairly simple but incredibly powerful principle. Essentially, it is if you take a magnet, any magnetic field at all, any magnetic field that you can move, and if you move that magnetic field past a copper or any form of conductor, any kind of coil, wire, whatever you want to say, the electrons and magnetic field being emitted from that coil will generate what's known as current. And current is the driving force of all electrical power in the world. I'm sure you, most people at this point have heard of DC versus AC power. Edison versus Tesla has been a very common a uh, popular theme recently. I think it's actually I being turned into a movie. Yeah, I believe there is a movie being made. I'm not sure if it released yet or not, but definitely yes. <laughs> so those have to do with direct current or alternating current because current is the driving force. And essentially that is if you take any old water, um, wire, you can look at it the exact same way as you look at water in a pipe. If you know water is called current when it's flowing, it's the same principle with electronics. The electrons are like the water and it flows through the wire from one end to the other. Because most people think when you hit a light switch, the electricity travels very, very fast, right? That's actually not true. Electricity travels very, very slowly, but it appears to be fast due to the fact that the light turns on instantly. It's much the same way as when one drop of water starts at the top of the Niagara Falls and falls all the way to the bottom, the water is moving at the bottom immediately, but you don't notice that because it just looks like one giant mass of water. 
it's the same principle, but that's the principle of current moving through wires. And that is, can be created via magnets. If you move a magnet past enough coils, there's a direct relation between one, how strong your magnetic field is, how much wire you have, and the direction and angle that the wire move, magnetic fields pass through it. Those all work together to create a, mag a current. So it's the magnets moving in and out of the coil that allows for electricity generation. And that's what Faraday's law of induction is? That is, yes, that is Faraday's law of induction. Okay. Well, that was a great explanation. Thank you. Uh, okay. So now we've, we've talked about the device, a bit about the process and of developing it and kind of who's involved. Uh, let's, Minch, let's, let's discuss the end goal here. So in terms of renewable energy, why, why are you doing what you're doing? What's, what's the end goal of creating a device that you can throw out into the ocean? For this particular project, our end goal is to create a substitution for disaster relief. As you know, disaster relief, hurricanes, tornadoes, they happen all the time, particularly hurricanes here in Florida. And those are incredibly damaging to local ecosystems. And they take out power in a lot of homes. And as a result, those homes need generators or some other way to generate power to help people or save lives. But right now, the only forms of generators that exist for those are gas-powered generators that they have to move on the backs of trucks. So we wanted to create an alternative that is renewable energy so that anytime a disaster strikes, there is a renewable energy alternative that they could go to. And so we wanted to make these devices that they can carry, they're extremely easy to deploy, they're extremely simplistic, so they don't have to be overly thought well thought of, and they can put them in the water and just run the cables to wherever they need to go to and have that power generated when they need it in an emergency so that they don't have to rely on gas power generators. Okay, so this is like uh, an ease of use thing and, and coastal communities, this, this would be uh, a, an alternative to like using fossil fuels or solar panels in those situations, is that, is that correct? That is correct. There are several unfortunate circumstances that go because gas generators do have several hundred years of a head start on this project. So they have been very heavily optimized. I mean, we talked about iteration earlier. Gas power generators have been iterated countless times over the decades. And so they have a massive head start. And that does create issues when trying to pitch this idea of because people, they want their profits and they want the profit now. And that does create a lot of issues. And that's one of the number one reasons why renewable energies is not nearly as prevalent as it could be. Because when there is gas power generated, it is extremely efficient as it is. It's hard to make gas power generators more efficient, but renewable energy, it is so new. Even though it's been here for 30, 30 some 30 odd years, it's still very, very new and very, very hard to work with. It's very, very, difficult it's very inefficient and so all these problems it's not easy to use it's more expensive than it could be because we haven't optimized it yet so that's why this research is critically important if we can figure out how to optimize it how to get these to a point where they're not better but at least they're comparable to a gas power generator then that would be amazing it will be decades centuries before it's easier 
to use than a, just hauling out a gas generator and cranking it up. But I think if we can get it to the point where it can generate the same power and at least it's a renewable energy alternative, I think that would be a great goal to strive for. So I'd imagine that's kind of why they're enlisting the help of, of college students, right? <laughs> There's right. a lot of them and they, they, they just want to work on something. So why not put them all on the task of renewable energy. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of unfortunate stuff that goes on with bureaucracy and stuff behind the scenes that the world doesn't see. Cause you hear a lot of stuff like, why don't we have more renewable energy? Why don't we do this for renewable energy? Like the technology is there, but there's a lot of issues with just the current way the grid is set up. And it's a lot more complicated than it appears. You can't just hook up a solar panel to a house and call it a day. There's a lot more that goes to it than that. And that's unfortunate, but there is definitely a lot of really good research going on. And I, I'm really happy like this project can be a part of that. It, it, I think it's a really neat idea and a neat project that all these universities are working on. Both of you, in turn, um, what kind of, what got you to join the project? What, what piqued your interest about the MECC? Initially, what piqued my interest is just a wanting experience. You sit through lectures all day, or you attend Zoom University, and you're learning all this material, but you don't really have like an outlet to apply it. And so you kind of just get antsy trying to wait for like the one day after I graduate to like finally use my knowledge. So I kind of like, I received an email one day in my inbox and I, I read up on the competition and I was like, I honestly have never thought about using water to help like well besides the hoover dam like using it to power something so small scale and like generate electricity so it, it sparked my interest and uh i'm so glad i did it because i got to meet like a bunch of wonderful people and i'm really using different aspects of like as skills i didn't think i would use like figuring out how to properly research uh being able to be more like concise in my communication um, and just be able to contribute to something for the greater good. I like that. <laughs> How about you, Caleb? Well, I started on this project a little over a year ago. So this was pre-COVID day. So I was actually in a class, uh, <laughs> you know, what a concept. <laughs> I, was, I was in lecture and at the end of the lecture, my professor, uh, Dr. Kopp, who at the time was the communications professor for UNF, he, after class, brought up the idea of, hey, his friend, Dr. Khan, was looking for some assistance to help on a project, and he would give more details to those who were interested. So me and a couple of uh, other students walked up to Dr. Kopp. We asked, like, hey, what's up? We are definitely interested in, because at the time, I did not have any a job. I was a full-time student, and so I was looking for any form of research. I love research, so I definitely I wanted to get involved in something. And so Dr. Kopp brought that up. And it turns out that I was one of only two students in the class that actually met the minimum requirements. You had to have taken circuits too. And I was only one of two students who had done that yet. So by default, me and my compatriot, um, Tebaton Fadansak, were selected as the electrical engineers for the group. And so we met with Dr. Khan a few days later and she briefed us on what this project was and I actually already had a love for power systems. I wanted to become a power engineer, but I didn't really know what that looked like yet. 
And so as soon as I heard renewable energy, I just got very excited and I got very happy. I'm actually going to be pursuing, this project has furthered my love for this. And so I'll actually be pursuing that into my master's and PhD programs on renewable energy research and continuing not just this, but other aspects of power engineering and how to develop renewable energy. Wow. Okay. Does anyone have anything to add about just marine energy in general or any details that they've found especially interesting about renewable energy to do with the water? Well, in some of my early days of research, back when I first got started on the project, I started looking into just what it meant, what transferring power across the ocean actually looks like and getting energy out of the ocean and into the sea, into the land. And I found a couple of very interesting facts. Um, probably my all-time favorite fact that I still quote to random people to this day because <laughs> that one of the number one threats to fiber optic cables in the ocean is sharks. So if your internet goes out, it could be because a shark ate the cable. And why, why sharks? Sharks actually track their prey using electromagnetic sensors in their head. So they can detect electricity from a very far distance. Now these cables underwater by nature are releasing electromagnetic fields. So the sharks occasionally will mistake the cables for prey and they'll nibble on the cables a little bit and that can damage them. So every now and then internet or power or whatever can stop being transferred because a shark decided to have a snack. <laughs> okay. There's a fact for everyone to remember. <laughs> It also makes it interesting because we had to suddenly think about shark proofing our cables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, what about like interactions with wildlife? So sharks, are there any other dangers to the device or potentially the device to animals? Uh, as far as animals are concerned, none of the animals will be in danger um, by the nature of how we're doing this. The device will be in more danger than any animals were will be because they do rely on electromagnetics to sense their prey. The worst case scenario is they'll mistake this generator for prey and they'll walk up and try to eat it, but they'll realize very, very quickly that metal is not meat and they'll go about their day. There is possibilities that they might damage the coils a little bit, but like I said, that was one of the very early things we figured out very quickly. So there are already ways to um, shield your cables so that the sharks when they if they do decide to nibble on your cables or you know bump into your device that it doesn't affect your device it doesn't damage anything so the animals themselves are largely they're going to be perfectly okay we're you know like i said they're just gonna think that there's a weird fish over there that's really really long and is made of metal but it shouldn't affect them overly much aside from a minor inconvenience of thinking you're getting a taco but actually you're getting a uh, giant hunk of metal. <laughs> well said. How about you, Brew? Do you have anything to add, um, anything interesting about marine energy? Um, for marine energy, I think it's just like extremely untapped. Like we already have solar panels and wow, like solar panel energy is great. It's extremely inefficient. Like most solar panels only have about like 11 to 15% of like actual power conversion. Wow. Um, wow, like if we look at the world, we do have like about 75% of it covered in water. So like there is a lot of untapped potential 
and being able to use it in other like mechanisms besides like the Hoover Dam, it can be helpful, especially with like third world countries. So like if we do, or if we are able to get this working, then maybe one day we can find a way to like help third world countries have a new source of like electrical income and supply power to their people. Okay, well, that's great. Um, as far as once it actually is deployed, once the device is actually out there and hooked up and operating, are, is there a lot of maintenance involved in keeping it working? Um, as far as this device is concerned, there will be very minimal maintenance. It is a very self-sustaining device. Um, we will hook up monitors to it full scale as every single power plant does. They have monitors to make sure nothing's going wrong. But because by the nature of the device, it doesn't have any major complicated electronics within it. It's just basically some magnets and coils that are being lifted by the waves. So you don't have to really do much maintenance. There will probably be annual checkups or maybe monthly or however often the government decides you have to go check up on it to go make sure that nothing's damaged. But the only real concern for any kind of damage would be any corrosion caused by seawater, but you can use paint and sealants and other such you know, devices to prevent that. So as far as maintenance goes, it really is a very self-sustaining system, which is what we like about it. It doesn't have to be checked up on very often. If something goes wrong, you can have monitors that keep an eye on it. And there's not a lot of things that can go wrong. Uh, only things that could really be problematic is a wire gets loose or a shark. Uh, something hap- a shark bumps into it. Something gets it off its axis. Little things like that. But those are all things that you can have monitors for. So you wouldn't really need to check on it yourself. Um, I can't think of any maintenance that on the electrical side, I can't think of any maintenance that would need to happen. Maybe Bree can have a little bit more for maintenance on the mechanical side. The only thing that can like come to my mind for maintenance is like possibly just keeping an eye on the cable supports that keep it tethered to like the ocean bed. So like if they kind of like lose tension or one of them like eventually like cuts off or if it goes away, it might turn our uh, wave energy converter a little lopsided and it'll be like off its axis like Caleb said and that, that it has not been simulated yet so we can't tell you what's going to happen there. All a part of the iterative process right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Always on the iterative process. <laughs> uh, is there anything else um, any other topics you guys want to bring up or talk about? I mean, there's a whole wonderful world of renewable energies that I could spend and have spent much time talking about with random strangers because this is it's what I love, but I don't want to waste all your time with it other than just renewable energy is a wonderful source. It's a wonderful field of research. I think there's not enough power engineers in the world. Like I said, I was one of only two students in my class who met the requirements to even join this project at the time. So there's not a lot of power engineers. It's a very open field. So if anybody's interested in a good major that serves a good cause and has a wide open field of potential employment, look into renewable energy. It's definitely worthwhile. If there, I'm sure there's a lot of young freshman college students who are trying to figure out what major they want. This is a great time to be an electrical engineer and to look into power engineering. Um, one thing we didn't really speak about was possibly like 
the actual environment we physically simulate the absorbers in. So since I wasn't like on the project when it originally started, Caleb and Te originally made like this small scale wave tank where they used, um, you might be able to speak on it better than I can because I can't remember. Yes, um, essentially we built a fish tank, uh, <laughs> very big, very big fish tank. And this is our wave tank and we used motors. We used a stepper motor and some stepper motor power supply to turn a wheel and that wheel would in turn push a panel and that panel would go forward and backwards. And that was used to generate, to push the water in the tank to create waves. And that's our wave simulation tank. And now we're working on a mid-sized tank because like I said, there's three, there's going to be small, mid, and then there's going to be large scale. Large scale, we don't have to make a tank because it's going to be the ocean. For mid-size, we are currently making a, from our fish tank, we're going to a swimming pool, essentially. So we're currently working on a much, you know, working on that and creating a much larger wave tank for us to do mid-scale testing in. But for small-scale testing, um, Miete and this other wonderful man, uh, Fernandez, Luis Fernandez, he helped us to create that, and Dr. Khan, of course, all of her support and just being the faculty head of this project, created this wave tank that we could do small-scale testing in, and that was last year we created it, and we were able to, it was actually quite a ordeal to get this whole project, this fish tank that looks so simple to get that to work right. It turned into a lot more of a pain than it probably should have been, but it works, and this year we've been able to do a lot of great tests because last year we weren't able to create really any models. This year we were able to create Jimmy, Timmy, and Kimmy all to be tested in this tank. So it was definitely paid off in the long run. Wow. Um, and moving into intermediate scale testing, you mentioned a swimming pool. Um, I imagine there's a bit of mechanical work involved in generating waves in the swimming pool testing center. Um, Bree, do you have anything to, to speak on on wave generation from the mechanical aspect? Yeah. So for the intermediate wave pool, it's about like an eight feet wide by like 10 to 11 feet long and about four feet deep. So with that, we're using a piston to help like generate our waves and hooking that up to a generator. So currently what we're doing is we're trying to create like the back brace for like an acrylic piece to help generate those waves. Uh, and we're, we're doing our best with the scraps left behind. You know, not only are we engineering, but we're, we're recycling. We're trying to help minimize the costs with our budget. And we are going to creative aspects, trying to figure out how to make pinholes and align all these pieces together to help create this nice fluid motion of waves. Wow. So it's like you're not only designing a device to work, but you, you also have to spend time engineering the environment in which you test it. So it's like a very multifaceted project here. <laughs> Intern, so both of you, what, what has been your, your, your best moment on the project so far? Uh, let's start with Caleb. Well, as you know, I'm an electrical engineer, so, but when we first started this project, it was a very small team. It was me, uh, my buddy Tay, and there was Luis, and then there was two business majors, 
And then there was Dr. Urkhan. And so me and Tay are both electrical engineers. Louise is much more suited for, but he's a graduate student, so he's much more suited for it. But um, we didn't have any dedicated mechanical engineers. So what happened is I became the team's mechanical engineer. And so I had to learn all the wonders of mechanical engineering on the fly. And I was able to not only keep up with the project, but I was able to design and the original models, I had to design and work with them myself, having no knowledge of any mechanical simulation. I had to learn how to program, how to code, how to 3D design in CAD. I had never even opened CAD software before and I learned how to not only use it, but create a full-size model and 3D print said model for our project. So I'm quite proud of all that I was able to accomplish with that, having no prior background knowledge on it. <laughs> That's pretty I impressive, must say, I must say. I must say, Bree, um, I am very, very grateful that you are on this project and I no longer have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Bree? What, what's your, your biggest accomplishment on the project so far? Um, so I, I guess more, it was an accomplishment in my eyes and it was like something so small, but it was like, what, we were recently testing, it's either Jimmy or Timmy, I forget their order. Um, but one of the Emmys, they would, they would float to the top and then they would get stuck on the shaft. And so we would always like constantly have to be like bopping them on the head to kind of get them to continue that, that nice motion we wanted to do. And it was just like a simple idea of just like cutting a styrofoam block and putting it like just a little bit um, below his threshold of getting stuck so that we wouldn't have to babysit him to like for him to keep floating and producing electricity. And like the moment it actually worked, I know like me and Caleb looked at each other and we gave each other a high five and I, it was cool because I was like, I'm like a part of the team. That's like when my like moment was like, cool, I'm like in the project with these people. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> it is. I remember that. And that was indeed Timmy, which is the reason we now have Kimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you guys have named the device, the devices. That's, it's, that's great. <laughs> I have a principle that I live by. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. And naming these devices was very fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. It's quite fun. <laughs> We're getting to the end of our hour. Um, every episode on the show, I always have a segment about music. So I'm, I'm, I want to know what sort of music do you both listen to? And what's the favorite song at this moment? Bree, you go ahead and start. Um, so I know I don't look like it, but I listen to a lot of rap music as an R&B, uh, and I know I do look like it, and I listen to, like, indie and alternative music, and one of my favorite songs that I've been listening to is All I've Ever Known by Bahamas, and it's a really great song. It's, like, a six-minute song that focuses kind of more on, like, instrumental and bass, and it, it, it's nice to, it makes me take a breath in this like crazy college time. So I really enjoy it. I like it. Thank you. And Caleb? 
Well, my music taste is very broad. I tend to operate on a simple principle of if it slaps, it slaps. But I do have a handful of little genres that I listen to. One of them is uh, less common. It's French pop. I, I grew up overseas. So to me, I learned French as my second language. And part of helping me through that was I started listening to French music during my classes so I could do better on tests. And I actually really fell in love with some of the artists. Uh, Alize or Zaz are both very wonderful. But um, probably one of my favorite songs from that is Moi Lolita, which is a very, very great early 2000s song by Alize. But more into the realm of uh, English songs, I do listen to a lot of Sinatra as well, which I love Sinatra. I love the old 40s music. And so if it was in Fallout, I've probably heard it. I love that. But I also listen to a lot of more silly music. Recently, I found this this great remix of a video game song called One Winged Angel. But it's One Winged Kong, where they remixed it with the Donkey Kong rap. <laughs> a 10-minute track of orchestra mixed with Donkey Kong, and it's hilarious to listen to. <laughs> you might just have to send me that. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> You gotta send me that too. I'm interested. All right. Um, when we do our next testing, I'll definitely bring this track with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Okay. Well, I thank you both for being on the show. This has been great. It's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. Uh, where where can people find you guys if they want to learn more about your team? Yeah, we have a website that you can go onto to find all kinds of information about our project and what we do. I think you can find the link to that in the description here. I don't remember the exact URL off the top of my head, but you could definitely find that and go learn more about this project and what we do. All right. I think I can, I can make that happen. Okay. Any, any closing remarks, either of you? Do science, have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always fun to go back to the lab again. If it slaps, it slaps. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys. Uh, and yeah, have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for having us. You too. It is time for the music update. I don't have any albums on the calendar that I'm looking forward to this week, but I do have a lot of music picks. Here they are. The first one is, I'll, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong because it's, it's supposed to be French, but Pays Imagine. Imaginaire, I don't know, Imaginaire, yeah, I have a terrible French accent there, but, and that's by Polo and Pan, it's kind of like a French alternative song, and interestingly enough, I was introduced to this song a long time ago, and the person who recommended it to me had, to, had me try to guess what song was being sampled in the song. And I listened to it so many times that day. I mean, easily over 10 times trying to figure this out. And believe it or not, I, I didn't figure it out. And when I was told the answer, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I hear it so much. But it was a song by Claude Debussy. And the, the song was Claire de Lune. Um, that song... A part of it might be being sampled in the Pays Imaginaire by Polo and Pan. So if you if you check that out, it you might you might hear that, might not. I don't know. Might be like me and not 
and hear it so much. <laughs> now, the next song in my list is Carpool by Zachary Knowles. That's an English alternative song. Um, Fake Friend by Nothing Nowhere. It's English rock. Ghost by Justin Bieber, English pop. And Hold On also by Justin Bieber, English pop. His, he had a new CD come out a couple weeks ago. And it's called Justice. And I kind of like a lot of the songs on it. Yeah, not usually a big fan of Justin Bieber. Um, but the album is pretty good. I kind of like it. (laughs) Next is Night Rider by Arizona Zervas, English alt pop. On Repeat by Junior, Korean pop. One Plus One by Pentagon, Korean pop. I guess they have a thing for math and geometry or something, you know. You got shapes, you have addition uh, yeah, okay. That song's pretty neat. Next is a song that it was I, I heard someone else listening to it. I'm like, what is that? And then they told me, and believe it or not, the next thing I did was I listened to it, and then I liked it, and now it's on my playlist. And it's called Battle Sirens by Knife Party and Tom Morello. It's a weird <laughs> knife party. It's perhaps a bit off-putting as a band name or a group name or an individual's name. I'll just simplify it as like a musician's name because I don't know what the nature of the group or people behind the music is. But anyway, it could be a perhaps a bit off-putting as a name for a musician, but they have a number of pretty neat electronic songs. And Tom Morello is a pretty well-known guitar player. And you throw them both together, and you get this really neat English rock and electronic song. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I listen to it a lot. Um, it's, it's pretty good. It's got like it's got a lot of guitar in it. Surprise, surprise! I guess with this Tom Morello in it, and then the knife party. You can hear that. That that's the electronic part of the song. It's good. And finally, the next song is is by NF, perhaps one of my favorite rappers. He came out with an, a, a mixtape, and I, I guess, to, as he says on the iTunes review, the mixtape is to tide over the fans while he's working on a full-length album. And this song, That's a Joke, is no joke. <laughs> it's so good. And he raps extremely fast. And this song, I mean, if if you have any doubt beforehand about whether or not rapping is a skill, this song puts that doubt to rest. (laughs) He raps extremely fast and extremely well. And you realize not only to rap, you have to be able to rhyme, you have to also be able to talk fast, which in and of itself is difficult and when you put that together and you make a story out of it, <laughs> it's it, it's quite something. And this song does that. It's very good. Um, I like it a lot. There's my music picks this week. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Spoon Drift. If you want to listen to the music that I or my guests talked about, you can check out my Spotify profile of The Spoon Drift Podcast and find The Spoon Drift Season 2 episode 
12 playlists. And on that list, I have all the songs that my guests, Bree and Caleb, were talking about, and all the music picks that I had for this week. It's all compiled for you in one neat package. That's the episode 12 playlist. I mean, you can find more episodes of The Spoon Drift on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spinnaker Radio's home on the web, radio.unfspinnaker.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can even subscribe to the show if you want to. If you want to keep up to date on everything to do with The Spoon Drift, you can follow me on Twitter at SpoonDriftPod. That's at SpoonDriftPod. Or on Instagram at SpoonDriftPodcasts. That's at Spoon Drift Podcast. Now for my guests' information. They mentioned a website, and they have that. And I have that information. If you want to check out the University of North Florida's MECC team, you can check out their website, OspreyCrewUNF.club. That's O-S-P-R-E-Y-C-R-E-W-U-N-F dot C-L-U-B. And that's all I got. I hope to talk to you next week. Nexus. Oh. That's what I get for podcasting at 2 a.m. in the morning.